Welcome back to the Padang Sessions. In this episode, architecture historian Dr. Lai Chi Kien examines murals and architecture produced during the heady years just before and after independence in Singapore and Malaysia from 1945 to 1969 and also into the 1970s. I think I will uh, start off with this uh, image. And, you know, as, as you know, it's not... Um, it's not 1969, actually, it's, it's, it's beyond 1969. So uh, some of the murals I will be talking about uh, will be extended past this time because when I, when I, when I gave the title to National Gallery, I, I hadn't thought of you know, the 70s, which was also quite uh, important. It's actually a kind of a vanity shot for me because uh, the reason why I paid attention to this mural is uh, if you look at the center part of, of this image, there is a solar clock tower of the uh, Singapore Science Center. This was actually a design project that I won. So I was uh, kind, kind of conscious about how it was uh, represented in public. And in this case, the Orchard Road MRT station you know, uh, wall leading into the uh, main hall. How, how many of you remember this wall? Anyone? Okay, quite, quite a number. Okay. And one of the caveats that I'll, I'll make today is that um, I've, I've not been able to sort of capture all of the uh, murals and perhaps I might have missed some of the important murals as well. So if you, uh, if you have something to add, maybe during the uh, session, right, discussion session, we can, we can discuss about it. Well, I'm seeing a lot of familiar friends in the crowd. Thanks for coming. Okay, let's start with some, uh, another personal kind of uh, account. Uh, this is, this is um, Bellevue Hotel in Penang. Uh, on the left-hand side, you see uh, a room, uh, which, was a, which was a room used for a conference conducted by uh, Datuk Sri Lim Chong Kiet, uh, the architect of uh, the Singapore Conference Hall, which we'll, we'll look at a bit later. And uh, on the right, the... Two panels actually show the reason uh, I was invited to Penang in 1996 because this was part of a, a, a conference that uh, was discussing a lot of like, you know, world affairs and Chong Kiet thought that you know, part of my research on uh, vernacular architecture could you know, be displayed in, in, uh, in some of the spaces. So I was, I was there on Penang Hill and um, of course you know, around that hotel you could see all of these paintings. Right? I, I didn't quite get the names of the paintings, but of course, you know, it's very characteristically Hu Sui Ho. Um, so, so they were the companions you know, that I was uh, with for a, for a few days, uh, and including this really big work. I mean, you couldn't miss, you couldn't miss uh, Children of the Sun. So that was really, you know, in 1996, the, my first encounter with uh, this, this painting. And of course, I, I didn't know its uh, previous histories and all that until much later. But of course, the connection to uh, Dato Sri Lim Chong Kiet was, was of course very obvious. He was kind of a patron for uh, many artists, including uh, Khu Sui Ho. And you, know, you can see the black and white uh, image of uh, both of them discussing the work. And also, I think uh, many people do not realize that at that time, I think there were, I mean, 
this is the uh, kind of confluence between artists and architects as well. And uh, Chongket himself uh, painted. So, you know, uh, these, these are paintings by him, sort of uh, rather kind of uh, abstract, abstract works as well. So you have architects who are uh, artists who are sort of also appreciative of uh, artists and, and giving them uh, opportunities uh, to work right, uh, within the context of spaces. But, but then, of course, I realized it's really not the first time that I uh, encountered Husi Ho's work. In, in Singapore secondary schools, you know, like the one that I went to, uh, at the time when they were still teaching literature, our sec two literature text cover was, was one called Voices, and it featured not this not this tree tree with a bird image, but something close to it, you know. And there was a there was probably a bird, and also you know this this uh, image of the two heads below. So th so this was already on the cover of our textbook. Uh, does anyone else remember Kusi <laughs> Ho being in in textbooks? Okay, never mind. And then of course even. Much later, you know, I would also encounter another really big work, right? Joy of Living, uh, when a couple of us were working with uh, Mr. T.K. Subhapati to curate the collection of the NUS Museum, which, which is now, you know, of course, at, at NUS. So, so these were sort of like, you know, various encounters uh, with, with Gu Sui Ho. It was, it was really like the, you know, some, somebody, um, you, you couldn't escape his, his artwork if you, if you wanted to. And, and of course, you know, the, the work was, as Chongkhet famously puts it, you know, used to cover up a crack in the wall at the, 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 the Singapore Conference Hall. Uh, and, and you can see this, this work, it's, it's still there. It's undergone a lot of renovation, so it, it doesn't really look um, the same way as, as, as it is. Um, okay, so, so you, can see, um, you can see on the screen, right, on the left, uh, it's an aerial shot, and on the right, actually, it's the rear, rear part of the uh, conference hall with the staircase going up. You don't really see this part now because you know it's been blocked by the new uh, Singapore Chinese Chamber, Singapore Chinese Cultural Institute Center. Yeah, so so you see um, the team uh, comprising Chong Kiat, Chen Wen Fi, and uh, William Lim, collectively uh, Malayan Architects uh, Co-Partnership. Uh, and you've, you've not seen it wrongly, all the, all the words Malayan Architects Co-Partnership are in small caps uh, to suggest that you know, it's a lot more sort of an egalitarian uh, company rather than you know, having, having uh, capital letters. And on the right, uh, 1966, um, Ku Sui Ho's uh, solo exhibition at the, um, at, at the Singapore Conference Hall itself. Um, and, and of course, this was a very important building and uh, as Lucas and Eugene mentioned, you know, suddenly turning visible, I think uh, 1965 was a very important clarifying moment for Singapore because um, with this building, it actually um, resolved a lot of uh, spatial needs at, in, 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 in the time of independence, especially how uh, Singapore sort of uh, uh, interfaced with, with the world. This was used for many um, conferences, the first one being sort of the International Labour Organization Conference. So finally, Singapore has a really sort of like a world-class standard uh, conference venue. And of course, it was also used for public exhibitions, uh, uh, annual stamp exhibitions there, uh, cooking classes. I think even 
Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Lee Kuan Yew's uh, mother was even asked to sort of give uh, cooking classes and all that. So this was this became like kind of really uh, major uh, public space for Singapore, almost almost like the almost like a very big community center. If you imagine, you know, that's like uh, Singapore's big community center. But it had another history. Um, you, if you look carefully, the, it's actually divided into two parts. The building is actually divided into two parts. And, and structurally, you can see the lift course already suggesting to you. Right? Right? If you look carefully, that's very strange. There are five lift cores. Right? It's, not an even, uh, it's not an even number. And you know, as, you, as you walk through it, the part with a, a diagonal stunt, which is the bottom of the, the hall, right, the concert hall, um, is a public space. It's all, all, uh, all non-air conditioned except for some offices. But it's really the right-hand side that was actually very important. Right? It was the first trade union house. And I think, you know, now with uh, NTUC, we've forgotten about the trade union history um, in, in Singapore at the time. But there were two... Uh, trade unions fighting out, right? trying to gain, you know, one was SATU, one was uh, STUC, which became uh, NTUC. So, uh, so eventually, the government sort of gave, created a space for STUC that then became NTUC, right, to, to show that that's the legitimate trade union that they were, they were, they were, going, they were going to support. And then SATU, of course, then uh, sort of fizzled out. So, so this then uh, became this kind of a permanent home for uh, trade unions uh, in Singapore, and which is why, you know, the building itself, right, um, even as, even as it, it is now as a kind of a historical space occupied by the Singapore Chinese Orchestra, it's really kind of an important uh, landmark. Uh, unfortunately, you will not see this, this kind of dynamics that you can see on the elevation on the bottom left, which if you, if you look carefully, right, you, it's very... Uh, well calibrated graphic elements of uh, you know horizontal lines and sort of uh, vertical lines, right? And of course, you know the balconies that stick out are even almost looking like uh, trays, right? It's almost as if you you push a tray you push a tray into you know into the building, right? That's that also suggests how the building sort of became very trans, you know, transparent, and you can see what was going on inside you know, past its glass facade. But you could also Acknowledge right, how the entire sort of composition worked as a whole, and as a really uh, amazing modern piece of modern architecture in, in Singapore's history, and and of course, despite this this fact that it was you know one of the most important national buildings uh, at that time, one of the things that we discovered was that even in the midst of uh, you know countries having. Uh, you know, g gaining independence, fighting for independence and gaining it, uh, and creating new architecture uh, after independence. Right? Modern architecture, of course, is usually the choice right, to pro project a kind of progressive uh, society, right, that, the, that the country is able to use modern technology and so on and so forth. But as a friend, uh, Mr. Tan Kok Min and myself, we were discussing the fact that despite using the most modern materials, and the sort of modern aesthetics incorporating into these sort of nation-building buildings, there would always be uh, some remnant of something from the past, right? and uh, something as a part of a history, uh, something as, as a sort of a, a graphic or a figure from, from, uh, from the country's own uh, past. So in, in this case, you can see 
uh, that despite the, the kind of modernity that we've been talking about, at certain parts of the building, you will see walls like the one on the bottom left, which is uh, based on the patterns of uh, mengkuang mats, which are usually found you know, in, uh, in, in, in families of, of mainly Malay, uh, Malay, Malay uh, families. So, so these mengkuang mat patterns um, not just you know, on these walls, you can see them sometimes abstracted uh, downstairs and, and, and elsewhere. Yeah. So the, 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 the message is that um, you know, if, if you look at modern buildings of, of that point in time, right, that it, it, will not be, it will not profess to be completely modern and be, you know, be completely clean edge you know, without uh, any decoration. There will be some remnant of that pre-independence kind of existence that we, we can always uh, we can look out for. Okay. And, and speaking of um, that whole sort of uh, era in time in, in um, nation building, we can also go back to uh, 1963. This is 1963. And how many of you still remember using the Paya Airport? <laughs> it, it, uh, you know that it dates you, right? So... Uh, yeah, so, so if you look at the black and white photograph on the left, it's the, one of the lobbies of uh, Paya Lebar Airport. Uh, in 1963, there was a competition for three murals, right? And they were uh, won by uh, Mr. Akib uh, Shamsuddin, which is the one on the top featuring uh, dancers in Singapore and Malaya. Uh, and then, of course, you have uh, two city scenes uh, below right, by uh, Mr. William Mandi. But the curious thing about this competition is its title, because um, the title of the competition is, is National Theatre and Paya Airport Mural Design Competition. Quite a mouthful. And I've always been wondering why that is the case, because why is the National Theatre uh, invoked you know, in, this, uh, in, this, in this competition? And, you know, and then suddenly, if you look at uh, old images of the, you know, what the National Theatre was supposed to be. This, of course, you know, as, as everyone knows, this is uh, by Mr. Alfred Wong, who was sort of another architect with uh, a lot of, uh, you know, some artistic background, he plays the piano and all that. But if you look, if you look carefully at uh, images promoting the National uh, Theatre at the time, the $1 brick um, uh, below, on the left-hand side, you see the side wall indicated with some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of drawing, right? So quite possibly this uh, competition may have wanted to provide a mural for, for National Theatre, but for some reason, you know, it, it, it never did. Right? So all three of those murals went to uh, the Paya Airport. Self-promotion self time. Uh, okay, I won't, I won't dwell on this for too long. Uh, Singapore Biennale uh, 2013, we had, we had a replica made and uh, we had a... We had a poetry reading session and uh, I think the poets in Singapore are, are really quite something. They, they will be planning another session sometime in uh, mid-May, so when the virus and all that possibly settle down, so, so do look out for it. Yeah, so, so far you, you've seen Kusui um, Ho, you've seen you know, these various artists uh, and, and of course murals are a kind of a public interface, right? And of course it depends on what the, that message to the public is, who is providing the message, who the intended audiences are, and, and so on and so forth. 
So in in a in a in a in a building that's uh, government sponsored, you would expect you know some projection of uh, images or you know or some kind of um, future future situation that they want to achieve, right? Given that it's a new country, there are some kind of aspirational requirements, right? That that they want to see a country being multicultural, or they want to see something progress, you know, science and technology and so on and so forth. So these are a lot of the themes that appear in the murals uh, at, that, at that point in time. Uh, and if they are not, you know, promoted by the government at that time, there were a lot of uh, big organizations that were also able to commission murals. They will also be able to purchase, you know, very large uh, scale or commission very large scale paintings to, to hang, you know, on their uh, lobby walls and so on and so forth. And of course, you know, for the for the 1970s period, it was the era of tourism in Singapore. Tourism was promoted at, you know, a very you know neck-breaking kind of a pace. Right? Um, everywhere you go, you hear slogans about tourism. You you see, you see the famous sort of traveler's palm that was sort of planted to create this image for Singapore, uh, and especially the hotels that were coming up along Orchard Road. A lot of them had commissions of murals. So this is, this is uh, Hotel Malaysia. Its original name is Hotel Malaysia. And then it changed to Marco Polo Hotel because Singapore separated from Malaysia. Right? So it couldn't, you couldn't use Malaysia Hotel anymore, uh, or at least not for this uh, showpiece uh, hotel. And then it became Omni Marco Polo. I don't know how Marco Polo became Omni, but, you know, but that's the name. But, but uh, uh, the architect for um, the hotel was, uh, again, uh, Mr. Alfred Wong. And uh, he commissioned Mr. Xia Kim Ju, which, which you see in the top photograph of his wife, uh, and painted this really big uh, mural. I can't, I can't remember how it was, but I think it was shown in uh, National Gallery, I think, for some time ago. Yeah, it's still here. Okay, okay. So, so this was uh, rescued by Brother McNally, Right, when the hotel was uh, demolished. So Brother McNally was uh, cognizant enough that there was an important uh, mural that you know, needed to, to, be, to be safe. Right? So that's, 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 the, that's the story. But, but you can see the content in this and also the subsequent few murals I'll show you about how an image is projected for, for tourists. Right? How you know, we have all these kind of idyllic landscapes in, in Singapore. You know, it's a kind of a, Kampung lifestyle, you know, especially uh, if you if you look closer, right? There's there's a lot more sort of a detail to to what it is, okay? And and of course, if you look on the middle image on the right, you can see that it was uh, again right part of the part of the lobby space. It was incorporated in part of the lobby space. And then another hotel by Mr. Alfred Wong had had this this particular piece. Uh, I mean, he had two two murals. The 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 top one. Uh, was a bit later, 1972, and then the bottom one was uh, 1971. So the date is wrong, it should be 1972. Is it 1972? So this one, uh, in particular, uh, the bottom one is, is really a, a very big, uh, a very sort of long piece, uh, and once again it was in the uh, lobby of the, the Garden Hotel. Uh, the title, of course, is uh, Asian Symphony, and curator uh, Hu Suling says it alludes to the harmonious intermingling of the three main ethnic groups within the peaceful, sunny, and green paradise of Singapore. 
I mean, this is a reading, right? This is Suling's reading. But, but then, of course, when you look closely at the mural, you see that, you know, I mean, it's supposed to be Chinese, Malay, Indians, right? But each of them occupy a different space. What is, where, is the, where is the intermingling, you know, of, of, of all of them? But of course, this is a kind of a depiction of a, of a multicultural, multicultural society, right? Then, then you have this MSA building, which is now SIA, right? SIA building. Uh, and, and again, of course, this, uh, this, this building has been uh, demolished, which was once along uh, Shenton Way. And, and, and this time round, in a, in a, in a, in a competition, uh, a mural was again commissioned, 12 feet by 8 feet, won by uh, Thomas Yeo. And, and the judges said, you know, when the artist first started on the sketch, his ultimate aim was that whatever was to emerge on his canvas had to convey a sense of movement and flight right, with uh, the association with, uh, with SIA. But when the artist himself was uh, you know, asked right, about, about the, the, the sort of whole process, so Thomas Yeo then said, and, and mind you, this is a kind of like a you know, semi-abstract painting right, or for a mural, not the kinds of uh, figural images that we, we, we have seen right, uh, for most of the other murals. So he says, the figures of two birds in symbolic form had appeared on the right-hand side. Then another abstract figure of a bird took shape on the top right-hand side, top left-hand side. Below that was what looked like an orchid, okay? and in fact was an orchid. <laughs> I don't know what I was talking about. Uh, it symbolized this region. The whole picture was almost entirely blue in various shades of the color. There were a few shades of pink, a touch of yellow, and there was white. But something still seemed to be missing to me. I then used black and it completed the picture. Black added the extra impact which had been lacking before. So, so this is very curious why the artists have to go to such lengths to, to explain why, you know, what, what, what an abstract uh, painting could possibly mean to him and, you know, how something might have been an orchid, something might have been birds, right, to, to coincide with, the, with this whole theme of, uh, of, of tourism and, and, and uh, SIA. Um, and, and of course, uh, the reason, one of the reasons could be that it, it really is a kind of a public uh, statement, right, that, that when, when queried, you have to say, you know, even though it is an abstract painting, right, abstract art, uh, you have to say what, what it possibly could be like, right? whether it's uh, harmony of the, the different ethnic groups or, or, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then this is, um, this is uh, Singapore Hilton. Okay? This is Singapore Hilton, and uh, it's actually in, from 1969. Does anyone know the artist? Anyone? No, 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 no. I think he's a kind of a forgotten figure. He was born in KL, went to ACS. Uh, then came to, what's this? Yeah, then came to SJI, studied in Singapore's SJI, then studied art and so on and so forth. Uh, self, I think it was self-trained. Uh, then he, suddenly he, you know, was commissioned to do Hilton and a lot of other hotels as well. Uh, for these 17 panels, relief panels, he said, you know, he said he used ancient symbolic signs such as the Tumpao Batik motifs, highly stylized Jili figures, don't know what they are, uh, Wayang Topeng masks, Indo-Malay 
High Chief's Knives, which are probably uh, Chris's, singer faces, mythical animal faces, etc., to create meaningful Malaysian shapes in a semi-abstract manner. So, so this is, this is uh, as I photographed it the other day, uh, and if you, count, if you count the number of panels, there's 14. And originally, there was supposed to have been uh, 17 panels uh, on, on, on you know, this wall of uh, um, the Hilton. But if you, if you look on the left-hand side, right, there is now a big Armani sign covering up three of the... I'm not sure if it covered up or they've, you know, they've uh, taken it away, but from the original 17 panels, you're now left with uh, 14 panels you know, on, uh, on the facade. And you know, for, a, for a hotel that's so concerned about feng shui, I don't know whether they, they still want to stick with 14, but that's another matter. So this, this guy, who's actually quite forgotten, is this guy called uh, Gerard Henderson. Uh, I found two of his paintings in Australia. These are, these are what he sort of does. He's really quite prolific. And I think he worked through this tourism period that was quite, you know, that provided a lot of work for, for, for these kinds of artists. There are, there, are kinds, there are these artists who just work, you know, with the hotels, producing paintings. Sometimes, you know, if they're in luck, they get to do one painting for each room, you know, can you imagine? So, so they, they, these, uh, these sort of, I, I would call them sort of like run the circuits of hotels. Um, the art themselves are, of course, worthy of uh, discussion, but it's, it's sort of largely forgotten. Okay. Now, so this, this part of the talk, I, I thought, you know, um, it's really, you know, you know uh, messages on walls and images on walls are really not, really, really not that uh, common. They didn't really start off, you know, after the war. Um, and if you, if you just go outside, you will see this pediment, you know, carved by uh, Rodolfo Minoli, which uh, was seated on the balcony on the right, uh, looking at uh, Victoria Memorial Hall. Right? And of course, this is a very specific reference, right? because uh, the material that he uses, as you, as you go out, you can probably see the columns. He uses a material called uh, granulitic concrete, which is to be able to make patterns on all these uh, surfaces. And so, so these columns and the decorations are really you know, very fine, finely detailed uh, compared to the time when Victoria Memorial Hall was made where you, know, you could see very much more coarse uh, workmanship on, on, on columns and so on and so forth. But part of his um, commissioned work was this pediment right, for the uh, Supreme Court, right, the pediment for the Supreme Court. And, and of course, you know, in the middle of the uh, pediment, you can see the Lady of Justice. Uh, and uh, from both sides, right, people probably were bringing uh, cases right, to, be, to be judged and so on and so forth. But do you, do you realize there's something quite interesting about the Lady of Justice? Anyone? She's not blindfolded. Justice may not be blind in Singapore. Is that what it's saying? I don't know, okay. Don't, 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 don't kill me. <laughs> okay, I'm just a messenger. Anyway, um, there's, a, there's a much more interesting uh, message provided by the entrance hallway. Right? So what we saw just now was the pediment on top. And if you, if you examine carefully um, these panels on top of the, of the entrance hallway, um, you'll, see five, you'll see five panels. 
And if you read it, it, it reads almost like a kind of an ancient comic strip, you know, um, telling you the intention of, um, of this, this, this building and also this, uh, and, and probably to reinforce this message of, uh, of uh, colonialism, right? So British colonialism. Uh, and if you read the panels from top to bottom, right, you can see Raffles negotiating with uh, the Temengong. So it's really to stamp this mark, right, to say the British came here, uh, we set up this port, right, we had all these uh, Sikh guards to protect us in case they created trouble. Uh, and, then, and then the second panel below shows, you know, probably Raffles as an, a kind of an you know, architect, you know, there's some kind of uh, calipers and, you know, there's a map and things like that. So the genius of the white man building up the town, you know, using, using local labor, mainly you know, uh, immigrant labor, and to build up this town. And then these three, three bottom panels show respectively um, the three ethnic groups, right? the Chinese, the Malays, and the Indians, you know, each living in its own enclave, right? separated so that they don't gang up together to... to to create trouble for the, for the British. So, so this is the kind of like a prosperity uh, story that was built up around all of these panels, which, which of course, if you read it, right, then you can read the intentions of what the colonial colonists wanted to, to say right, with, with this building and with, with all these um, decorations. Okay. And then, of course, another early example in uh, 1923, was uh, Tanjung Paga Railway Station. Right? It, was, it was done by a very early firm, Swan and McLaren. And the main architect for it is a person by the name of D.S. Petrovich. In those days, you would call him uh, Yugoslavian. But that was before you know, his, his country split into uh, two. And uh, he was the main architect. He was assisted by uh, another partner. And once you... Once you encounter the, the railway station, uh, it's sort of you know, very distinctive. Uh, you, will see four, you will see four sort of uh, allegory, statu allegory statue figures you know, um, at the entrance area uh, to agriculture, commerce, transport, and uh, industry. Right? Uh, all of these enabled by the uh, railway system that finally completes you know, the sort of circuit from... Taiping, they started in Taiping and then they sort of worked the whole railway down uh, to Singapore. So, so, so the whole sort of a Malayan economy was complete. Uh, so, so this was quite a significant moment in the colonial history of Singapore and therefore, you know, these, um, these four allegorical statues, they were, they were designed by a guy called uh, Angelo Vanetti, um, you know, very, you know, prosperous looking on the right. And... Um, and of course, they were they were they were um, they were they were con constructed in, in another studio and then sent to Singapore. Inside the main hall, uh, you will see all these uh, very very big tall murals. Right? These are these are tiled murals, uh, painted tiled murals, and they were by uh, you know another partner of by the name of uh, Dennis Sentry. Dennis Sentry actually is the famous for designing the Sultan Mosque. Right? But I think, you know, he was really active uh, in his company and he designed the murals. And so I think those of you who have been to the railway station would have seen this, right? And, you know, if the four statues in, on the outside, you know, told of all these different parts to the, store, to the colonial transport story, 
these, uh, these uh, six triptychus, if I pronounce it correctly, uh, reinforce, right, reinforce those, those kind of economic, uh, colonial economic activities, you know, uh, crops, right, uh, rice planting, tin mining, and so on and so forth. These are sort of like the mainstays of uh, the colonial economy at the time. And, and Denis Sentry probably also did these, do you, do you, have you all seen this? These are at the uh, Majestic Hotel. And this would have been uh, around the 19, uh, 1920s. So, so almost, almost around the same time, you know, they, Son and McLaren were sort of creating these, these kinds of uh, murals uh, across Singapore. Okay. And then the, another very early mural, of course, is the, um, is the one at Changi uh, Prison. This was, um, this was Stanley Warren, right? um, and he was, he was asked right, to sort of embellish the walls. I think, I think a colleague of mine, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Say, just gave a, gave a talk about them. And, and, and so this is, you know, to round up the Singapore part of, you know, the discussing what the murals are. And of course, the process is continuing. Uh, if you go to the Nanyang Sun Yat-sen Memorial Hall, you'll see this really large painting commissioned to a China artist, Chen Su Dian, who tries to imagine the time that uh, Sun Yat-sen was in Singapore. This is, you know, the junction of uh, Trungganu Street and, and Smith Street. And he, he tries, of course, you know, you can see the, that the Gopuram at the background you know, of uh, Sri Mariamam Temple is the earlier one. So he, he tries very much to be accurate, you know, about the time setting that... Uh, that uh, Dr. Sun Yat-sen would have come, right? And, and of course, you know, uh, this is a kind of genre of painting where you just cram as much people together as, as possible, you know, as, as though there was no coronavirus. Uh, so, so somehow, right, somehow, you know, this is a kind of an imagined scene with so, with it's, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, full of activity, full of people and so on and so forth. And, and not far away, the, the causes of coronavirus are you know, at the, uh, on the side. But, but, you know, I mean, someone who, who is painting this may not have known what you know, the real kind of situation in Singapore was like. Because if you look very carefully, you can see lanterns. Or you can see people eating uh, pomelos. So this is probably the uh, mid-autumn festival, right? Which is usually around September. But the artists tried to add something else to it. They tried to add durians to it. What's wrong with that? Durians are not in season in, uh, in, in September, okay? Or, or not at least until Thai technology made them available almost all around. But, but so that's... So I think, I think, you know, when we... I mean, the message is this, right? When we read murals, when we read... Uh, look at all these things, I think you, you, you try to read the projected uh, image and the kind of reasons that uh, were, you know, where, that the murals are created in the first place, and not, not just, you know, to, to just take, take, take it at, at face value, right? Okay, we, we moved to Malaysia. How much time do we have? Oh, okay. We moved to Malaysia. Um, this is uh, something that I've been sort of working a lot more with. Uh, in Singapore, you know, we had uh, quite a number of uh, national buildings at the time, National Theatre, National Library, um, Singapore Conference Hall that we talked about, and also the National Stadium. And if you include National University of Singapore, that's also a very big project. But in Malaysia, I think there was a whole slew of uh, buildings that came up 
uh, after the war, beginning with the Medica Stadium right up to the airport, right? and you know, 1966 with the National Monument. So, so I'll, I'll discuss this whole group of uh, murals. Uh, most of them were sort of co uh, were commissioned through com competition. Right? There were there was always a competition organized, and then you know uh, somebody would win it. The first one is this one. This is uh, Dewan Bahasa. This is a language and literature agency. Now, this was very important to Tunku Abdul Rahman's political message. Right? This was in transition from the colonial administration, which used mainly English, to, to his new era, right? when he was the first uh, prime minister of Malaysia. And he needed to reinforce this message that Malay was going to be the... The, the language of administration and education uh, henceforth. And therefore, you know, building, building, a, building a language agency, the Dewan Bahasa, was very important. Right? So you look at that, it's, a, it's quite a you know, modern building. And it's, it's lecture hall sort of projected out, almost like a TV screen, you know, onto uh, this area called the, you know, it used to be called the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Circus. Uh, so, the, so a mural was commissioned, and it was the ideal location for it right? um, to, to suggest what the national language could do. Right? So if you, in, the, in the middle of the mural, you can see five people uh, reading a common book. Right? Uh, it's an adaptation of what's the, the Daun Lonta. Right? Um, sort of, um, um, and, and, this, and, and reading this, this uh, common book right, will enable you to uh, take part in all the other activities that were surrounding these, uh, these five figures. So if you, if you look at the green areas, these, these green areas uh, subdivide the different areas of uh, commerce, industry, you know, um, agricultural life and social life and so on and so forth. Okay? So the message is uh, absolutely clear. This one, this is uh, aspirational kind of, uh, kind of mural. The second one, once again, right, um, this, is, uh, this is Stadium Negara, 1962. This was built because Malaya won the uh, Thomas Cup, the inaugural Thomas Cup in 1949. Right? They went up to Preston and they trashed uh, the Denmark team 8-1. And of course, you know, you, if you win the Thomas Cup, you are able to host it. And therefore, you know, they had to bring they had to bring the Thomas Cup to, to, to Balea, right, to Singapore. And, and, and this stadium was built. And uh, along with it, you know, was another competition uh, won by two young, young persons, Yi Chin Ming and Kun Po Hong, right? Uh, these longer, there were two sets, right? This longer set was to discuss, you know, uh, Malayan folklore and culture, right? So uh, once again, you see this uh, peopling of... of um, on the, on the surfaces. And then, of course, for sports, right, on the top part, you can see the encouragement for you know, a strong citizen, strong mind, strong body, that kind of message. And of course, the architect had also incorporated other messages. If you look at the relief wall, there, were, you know, there are sort of like graphic badminton you know, and shuttlecock you know, motifs. And he himself would have done all those kind of uh, window, window motifs. Right? Then, then we have the the Museum Negara, this obviously, you know, suggests something that is very much linked to, you know, national identity building. And in all of the, all of the Malaysian uh, buildings of the independence era, this is the only one that tries to emulate 
a uh, previous sort of an indigenous form. Right? Uh, in fact, the, if you look at the roof forms, they are not found anywhere in Malaysia. Right? The, the fact that they, they sort of join you know, a central kind of a block into sort of two long blocks that look a little bit like the Minangkabau houses, right? Uh, that, that, that typology doesn't exist. But nonetheless, you know, it's really a kind of like a big house on steroids, right? And it, boom, suddenly become very big. And on, on both sides, you can see uh, from this drawing by uh, Dr. Kokoko that you, he, was, he was intended it to have uh, two very long murals, I think 120 feet uh, long each uh, glass mosaic. And um, this, this was again uh, another competition. There were five artists uh, sort of uh, selected for the final round. Chen Wen-si, Chong Lai Tong, Chua Tian Ting, Muhammad Hussein Inas, uh, Syed Ahmad Jamal. I'm, I'm speaking as if, you know, they're just names, but these are all the giants of, uh, of the time. Uh, and, and of course, finally won by uh, Chong Lai Tong. Uh, and this, this, is the, this is the entry that he sort of uh, eventually submitted. But one of the criteria, right, if you read, um, if you read the history panel, right, episodes of Malayan history, the, the bottom panel, you will also see dates on them because the competition specify very clearly that all of these periods of uh, his Malayan history leading up to Medeka had to, had to be represented. Then very briefly, um, you know, we, we've talked about the most modern uh, building in Singapore. Uh, this was really the most modern um, national building in, in Malaysia, the, the Masjid Negara. And in a conversation, of course, uh, he, the architect tells me that, of course, the, all these elements are all adapted from uh, his own house, his, his own compound house. Right? So it's, it's really a kind of very, very abstracted form of a Malay house. And, and of course, you know, uh, even though you know, it's, it's very uh, explicitly modern, the, a lot of the decorations then sort of uh, happen uh, inside. So you still have some kind of decoration. So, so no, no murals, but you still have these kinds of decorations. Uh, finally, we talk about two works by uh, Chua Tian Teng, Mr. Chua Tian Teng. And of course, the, the University of Malaya history is tied to, to NUS, right? Because uh, originally they wanted to have uh, the university in, in Kuala Lumpur. Right? So somehow when Singapore you know, separated from Malaysia, we had, we had two universities. Um, but this was the Faculty of Agriculture. You can see, you can see this sort of, uh, you know, once again, sort of very uh, densely populated with different figures, you know, taking part in what would have been the kind of agricultural aspects of, of, of Malaysia. Okay. Uh, and then finally, of course, you have um, the Parliament House, right? Uh, the Parliament House, um, was by this, this architect, Mr. Ivor Shipley. Right? Uh, Henderson's drawings were in his collection. And once again, you know, this utterly sort of modern, right? no, un, uh, unapologetically sort of modern. And in this uh, central space of the uh, Dewan Rakyat, the House of Representatives, you can see a five-sided uh, wall, right? gable wall space. And this space, originally, there was going to be a, a large mural, almost like a 180-foot-high big mural. Um, originally, he, the architect commissioned uh, Mr. Chua Tian Ting to, to, to work on it. Right? But somehow, you know, um, there, was a, there, were, there were all kinds of reasons, right? There was not enough money. You know, they, they didn't really reject it. The architect thought that, you know, maybe this was a bit too Chinese. Therefore, you know, it didn't sit well with the government at that time. 
but for whatever reason, it did not um, did not um, did not uh, did not end up in that in that space. And and of course, the architect had just given the very simple instructions that can you please represent the people of of Malaysia. And unlike you know all these tourism um, messages about you know one Malaysia, five Malaysia. Shodenting drew 52 figures, right? Then you can see Thai figures, you could see Javanese, you could see, you know. So, so working from his uh, native Georgetown in Penang, he could see that, you know, this, this kind of very, very diverse, you know, almost different, differentiated kind of uh, ethnic groups, right? That, that Malaysia was really a very complex uh, sort of background. So therefore, he drew 52. He didn't draw five or, you know, like, like in the Dewan Bahasa. And... And of course, earlier on this year, the reason why I chose this as the, the image for, for our talk is that you know, this, this, was never, this was never put up in the, the parliament house. And I, I, I regret it now, of course, that I wanted to write to the Malaysian government to see if I can do an installation art piece where I would project this image onto, you know, onto, the, onto the wall of the Dewan, uh, Dewan Rakyat. You know, here you see the very detailed, you know, explications of what those the humans are and all that. And I think it would have been a great statement of, you know, this multiplicity of Malaysia. But of course, you know, the events of the last month uh, was, was not to be. And uh, perhaps, right, perhaps we'll have to wait for another time to perhaps discuss this multiplicity and uh, the kind of people you find in Malaysia. And one day that, that day may come. You have been listening to the Padang Sessions from National Gallery Singapore. Follow us for updates and new episodes every month. And to learn more about our programs, visit nationalgallery.sg. Our podcast team is Erica Lai, Kalisha Chia-Kasim and Ashley Lim. The music you heard is composed by Javon Chandra. I'm Joyce Chung. Thanks for listening. <laughs>